You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Welcome to the Bradley Wiggins Show by Eurosport, the home of cycling, brought to you by Zwift, where fun is fast. I'm Graham Wilgos. Brad, second show of the season. How yeah, are you? Very good, yeah. What season we've already had, eh? Already. And let's not forget, we've got a guest today. Welcome back to the Bradley Wiggins Show, Adam Blythe. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us. Um, it's, it's been a massive week in cycling, uh, on the road and in the newspapers. We'll come to the headlines uh, shortly. First, let's talk about the racing, um, particularly, Adam, because... You've been calling Paris-Nice for us on Eurosport this week. In fact, the last time we had you on, you were sat in the sunshine in your back garden um, and we were recording remotely. About a year ago, wasn't it? Yeah, exactly a year ago when, when life life changed for us all. Was it about a year ago? It seemed a bit too hot then. I had a can of cider in the garden, so it can't have been that long. Can't be yeah, a year, can yeah it? maybe a couple of weeks out, but pretty right. much, yeah. Right, yeah, it's nice to be back. Thanks for having me. Paris-Nice, I mean, you've, you've been a couple of thousand miles apart from, from Rob Hatch on comms, calling it together this week. Give us a little bit of a flavour. How's that been when you're, when you're on a video call, pointing at the screen um, and, and, and the comms between you? It's fine. You know, I think, you know, we FaceTime during the thing. We have everything on mute so we can just see each other. And it's generally just if there's a problem uh, with Rob being remote, you know, there can be cut off sometimes with his microphone mic stop working or whatever. So it's just a case of being able to signal to him, basically, my hands that something's gone wrong but apart from that it's it's pretty like normal really you know when I first started I've never really been sat next to anyone in the commentary booth so it's fairly normal for me but it's, it's been good it's been nice you've been excellent and you've got a something of a, a fan club on the go already yeah I don't know about that I think you know with commentary it's we've had the same people there now for a long time and I think my voice fresh out of the peloton is quite new and I think I just like to. I think the way I've always raced is always looking at why people are doing stuff and using it to my advantage. So, being able to look at a bike race and being able to read it quite well, I think is is the main thing for me. And just being able to explain things and educate people of what's happening. And um, I don't really think it's been spoke about as much as in the detail that I've done it before. So it's I think it's a bit new for people. And I think yeah, obviously people are enjoying it at the minute, which is the main thing. Brad, when you're on on comms. How do you feel? Do you enjoy it as much as, as you do when you're, you're on the breakaway? I was reluctant to do it last year, actually. Um, I don't do enough of it, if I'm honest. Um, but the nature of what I got drawn into, I, I like doing this sort of... I always liked, We were talking a bit before, actually, me and Adam, about kind of... I don't like just waffling on about kind of nothing, really, when the tour's on and things like that. So I've, I found it very good to go in and rewarding when I felt I could add something to the commentary that the guys weren't already kind of flagging and... And that comes down to, you know, I was watching Adam the other day in, in Belgium. Um, oh, it was Kern, Kern, wasn't it? Um, he was talking about the running to, to True and how it's one of the hardest climbs and, you know, explaining sort of why 80-odd riders didn't get disqualified for riding on the pavement and stuff. And um, and that's the sort of stuff, you know, you, you kind of you want to hear really and learn. And I, I was in the box last year on the, one of the mountain stages of the tour and then, of course, the last time trial and when Teo won as well and, you know, I, I see things there that I can sort of resonate with and, and hopefully kind of you know, ex, you know, explain to, to the viewers really so they kind of 
it's about educating people really and you know, I'm not saying that everyone needs educating but um, it's 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 certainly there'll be things that you see that you know kind of you take for granted that other people don't I was going to ask Adam actually on the um, you know you're forging a little sort of career for yourself there in, in the commentary thing um, I know you were like working with Rob Hatch pretty well You, the pair of you actually sound brilliant together but um, did you ever imagine when you retired because you obviously the punditry thing we did together and, and really enjoyed and Obviously, you've got a knack for that. But did you ever see yourself, if someone had said to you a couple of years ago that you're going to end up commentating or is it just something you've naturally sort of fallen into you and enjoying it? Or do you see it going forward that that's something you want to develop into? Not really, no. I think looking forward, I want to develop into it and I want to be, you know, the best I can be at it. But I think when I stopped, uh, I knew I wanted to do commentary. We spoke a little bit when I stopped and I was looking for advice. And I think it's just, you know, as you said, one, the more you do it, the easier it becomes. And the more you do it, you get more feedback and it starts to become a lot more natural. But as you said a minute ago, I think the main thing with it for me is just educating people. Uh, and you know the ride who I was like, I was never the strongest. I was never the fastest, um, but I was very efficient. So I could always put myself in the right place at the right time. I could always make sure, you know, if I knew something was dangerous happening, I could hopefully see it before other people would, ha would see it. And I think that's the main thing for me about that's, commentary. That it's, part of that is being strong. Yeah, yeah, thanks. Yeah. For that. Well, it was for you, though, but not really for me. You just took too many risks. Yeah. But that's the thing. It's, it's taking yeah. all them risks. But with it all, I learned a lot about how people sit on the bike mm. and just the way they move on the bike. And, you know, it could just be the simplest of things if you're going uphill and they're getting out of the saddle more than you normally see them do. And it's all these little things, I think, when I now do commentary it brings something more to it because I'm mm. able to look at that and analyse it a bit more and yeah, yeah. just bring a bit more to it. But no, I don't... When I first stopped, I never imagined I'd be really doing this as I was. I've always wanted to do it when I stopped. Um, but as I said, the more you do it, the better you get it, really. I think, anyway. Have you, have you missed it? Have you missed the racing, I mean? No, not one bit. Not one bit. just looks so hard, Is that two it? years now you stopped? Two years, yeah. If you see, like, Terreno today, you know, it's just flat out, isn't it? Flat out. It's not yeah. like the traditional let the breakaway go... And then riders start attacking. Look at Kerner, Vanderpol attacking 80k to go whenever. It's just, it's so fast. And I saw some stats on the internet from that climb yesterday in Torino. Froome went up there in like 38 minutes in 2013. Mm. Bogaccio went up there in 36.06, like two and a half minutes quicker. And that's just like the climbers, you know. It's before the climb, you've got all all the racing before it to do. So it's just... Well, the first 30 kilometres today at Torino was raced at an average of 57 kilometres per hour. Blimey. What I mean, yeah, don't miss that. <laughs> God, no. It's insane. Don't miss it. Um, before we come to uh, what was going on in Italy, Paris-Nice today, Adam, um, you, you've obviously been calling the race all week. Uh, it's been very much the Primoz Roglic show. He's been head and shoulders above every other rider. Um, today, sometimes things just don't work out for you. The cameras weren't on him. We know he's crashed twice. He's gone down hard. We can, we can see the abrasions on his left and his right side. Max Schackman, um, who started the day 52 seconds down, has ended up coming out on top. He's the Paris Nice winner. But fair play to Roglic today, I think you've got to say. He's 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 ridden bravely and he's yeah. sort of he's, he's honoured the race almost coming yes, in. There. Yeah. I think he's honoured himself better though, really, as a champ. I think there's honour in a race and then he is a champion. He's won a lot of bike races from the monuments of Liège to the Vuelta and always up there in the Grand Tours. But it's more, you know, with the crashes today, I it's not entirely his fault sometimes. Um, we don't didn't see what happened, but it's hard to explain with him. You know, I think the team he had there, amazing team for the climbs, couple of riders for the flat and on a hilly course around Paris-Nice, you know, it's a difficult to make a decision in start of the week. Do we take these guys that are experts in crosswinds? Do we protect them with these guys? Um, or do we take a load of climbers that are going to be able to help them in the mountains? 
And we've saw, you know, it, it helps in the mountains, I think, but I'd say it's more vital for a team these days to have, it's difficult to find a rider that can do all these things. But if you'd have had one more teammate there in the final today to get him back on, which, you know, it was a shock when you saw him trying to get back on. He's only got two teammates with him still, you know, 45k to go still. There's a bunch of 100 riders and he's only got two teammates left. It was a bit of a shock. And I'm sure for the team, you know, they've been like, this is not good. Um, so for him, it will have been a bit disappointing, but his bike racing, and that's the way it always has been. We saw the day before sprinting past uh, Madeira, I think it is, with yeah, 20 metres to go. It's just Yeah, catching him in the last 200. Well, he, he lost, a f- well, you, you could say he lost a few fans yesterday um, by taking that stage. But uh, Madeira came out and said, look, I didn't want him to gift it to me. If I just wasn't strong enough on the bike, which is which is fair enough. You, you, as, surely as a sportsman, as a rider, you don't want someone to say, oh, look, stage, you've tried really hard today. You weren't the strongest rider, but here, have the stage anyway, do you? No, not at all. I think, you know, in certain situations, if that situation could have been that Roglic was away and in front of the GC leaders, he caught the breakaway man and they both worked together all the way up that climb, you know, for say if Roglic was going for the GC and he was just going for the stage, worked together to achieve both. And then, yeah, maybe I'll give you the win. But in the same hand, he's just there to win a bike race, as we all are. You know, you don't see a classic, someone being out the front for the last 50k on their own, and then a bunch going, whoa, 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 we're not catching him. He deserves this. It's just ridiculous that even, you know, it crosses their mind where people will think, oh, that would have been nice if we would have given it to him. Would have been nice if someone paid me three million quid to ride my bike. It wouldn't have happened. Brad, where do you stand on, on the gift, gifting a stage to a, a rider you know you're stronger than coming in? Yeah, I think... Um there are some traditions in cycling. If you've got the yellow jersey, well, they're, they're very long-standing and, and they're not written anywhere. But um, if you're about to take the yellow jersey, you tend to kind of give the stage to someone else. It's kind of a, an unwritten rule. But as I say, that doesn't always happen or transpire. But people have their reasons for doing that, you know? Roglic said, we all want to win and you need to be the strongest to do that. Um, and he would say that I've had teammates working for me all week. Yeah. Um, they said they've put me in a position to be able to win the race, win the stage. So I'm there to win it. Madea yeah. also tweeted that he said, it's an easy scenario. The first over the line wins. I just need to get there faster. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think now there's less, less criticism on, um, on doing that and going for it. You know, I think um, for, for a yellow jersey to win three stages now, it's um, that, that changed a few years ago and, and there's less criticism of doing that now. I remember in the 2012 tour, I tried to lead Edvold Bosenhagen out into around Marseille somewhere, come around the last corner and because and, he'd been working so well for me all the whole race and uh, tried to help him win a stage. And Luis Leon Sanchez wasn't very happy about it afterwards and tweeted, you know, you have, at some point you've got to let us try and do something. You know, it's about sharing that load around the race and, and that was much more the traditions. But that's changed over the history of, of cycling. You know, when you look at Merckx, used to go for everything. Um, in the Indurain era, you know, it's um, he used to sort of gift the stages and not sprint past people. And um, Lance was criticised both ways. You know, he gave Pantani a stage once and he also sort of outsprinted Cloden once and got criticised. So you, you could never really please everyone. But I think people just want to see racing. And I think now more than ever, if you win in the yellow jersey, it's it's not about, you know, it's what sport is. It's about racing, winning over the, getting over the line first. I mean, what we've seen from Roglic this week has been formidable. He can, he can out, he's shown he can outclimb everybody, but he can also outsprint some of the guys who, who we'd consider sort of the fast men, like Michael Matthews, um, Christophe Laporte on on stage six. He's got the power to, to take these guys at the line when he needs to as well. Yeah, you have to remember though in Paris, Richie crashed out, Teo crashed out. I'd say, and I think it's fair to say that the other, his big rivals are in Torino at the minute. He's not got anyone real big GC rivals. I know Shackman's 
very capable rider, but Tish Benut as well. I think he was fourth overall. He's not a big GC rider. These one-week stage races, and I think especially Paris is becoming not easier almost, but I think when the wind isn't up at the start, certainly the last couple of stages aren't as hard as what they used to be, I think, especially this race. The weather's been better all week. You know, you get snow and really cold conditions, but I think they've been blessed, you know, even Omelup and Kern, really, you know, it's... um, the weather seems to be have been a lot better um, for the rose, which always helps. It really does. But don't get me wrong, he, he was the strongest there and he was, yeah, excellent, excellent form. But be interesting to see what he's like when Pogaccia comes on the scene and the rest of the guys, Simon Yates, Bernal, all these guys. I, mean, I think we, what we saw from him last year was that he nothing seems to phase him. So when he lost the tour on the final day, he bounced straight back, went and won Liège, Baston Liège, um, went and picked up exactly where he left off at, at the Vuelta. Yeah, I think, you know, when you're on that kind of form and you've been that good, you know, it's you're not just going to the race and think, oh, I can't do this. He knows how good he is. He knows what he's capable of. And it showed he won the Vuelta, won Liège as well. I mean, like two of the biggest races of the year, especially Liège, you know, winning a monument after coming second in the Tour and winning the Vuelta is just unbelievable. How did you find that, Brad, when you were in a race where you perhaps didn't do as well as, as you were expected to? How did you find picking up and, and going again? Um, do you find it easy to do? Not always, no. No, I didn't always handle it great. Um, I mean, it depends what went wrong, really. Like I say, I did it really well sometimes. Sometimes I did it really badly. Um, when I crashed out the tour in 2011, 10 years ago, um, within a couple of hours, I decided to do the Vuelta. Within three days, I was back on the bike, and five weeks later, I was at the Vuelta, got third. You know, it's um, it's just it's just a mindset, really. I think if you if you... If something happens when you know you're going well, you you know that there's um there's probably an injustice there if you like, and you want to put that right for your own self, unless it's something like an Olympic final or World Championships where you're not going to get that opportunity again. But um, road racing is quite good like that. There's always something next you can go for. Whereas you know, I remember a few years ago that that same Walter actually 2011 Cav, I think he got eliminated on stage two. It was just too hard for him, and he came straight from the tour. He won the green jersey. Um, he'd got some dispensation to then go and ride the Tour of Britain. You, you turned it into positive, you know, and um, road race is good like that, as I say, you know, but if, if you've got a disappointment through um, lack of condition or form when you actually thought you were going to do well, then it can be demoralising and you can tend to sort of give up a little bit. Um, it, it just depends what's happening, the people you've got around you, know, sort of mindset, or if it is your one big goal of the year, a um, bit like the Tour de France, if that goes wrong, it can be very hard to lift yourself up for the for the rest of the season, but... Primoz is really good at that, as we've seen. You know, it's um, there's a contradiction in his mindset in that he's um, he's very good at going from race to race and not being phased by too many things. He takes the good with the bad. He um, doesn't get overawed with the success, but he doesn't get too down with the disappointments either. And he just rides that kind of wave. And he's always on the same sort of, always appears to be on the same sort of um, sort of morale. Mm. But, but as I say, the contradiction in that is, is he can um, his dominance. He he is fallible. There's a vulnerability about him. So people see him as being beatable. So his air of grace and, and dominance is not off-putting for people. You can be peer intimidating to some people and not want to show any cracks and things, but people see that they can put him on the back foot very easily and that he is, you know, there's a chance you can win here, as we saw the tour and stuff. That doesn't phase him, but that does create a different atmosphere around your rivals. So when something like that happens, like today when he crashed, there are other riders in the past where there'd have been they'd have had an intimidation about them that riders would have backed off and thought, well, you know, we have to respect him too much, you know. But it can work both ways. It really can. 
he doesn't seem to have or command the respect, not in a bad way, because cycling has maybe changed as well. I don't know what you think, Adam, that there are other riders would have had that kind of respect that, oh, should we slow down? Such and such has fallen. There have been riders in the past where that's happened. It's like, you know, we better stop here because, I mean, I remember when I was turn prof, Cipollini, if he crashed, it's like, if he comes back and sees that we've actually been trying to race here, he's not going to be very happy, you know, and yet they had an intimidation about them. Yeah. Certain riders have that, don't they? Yeah, massively. I think it's the more and more it's gone on. I remember when I first started my career in 2010, it was like massively like that. You know, you wouldn't, wouldn't attack the yellow jersey, you wouldn't keep riding through a feed zone, all that kind of stuff. But now it is just, it's like you said about junior racing almost with the guys like Vanderpol and these guys, it is like the, they just want to win. doesn't matter the circumstances as long as we can win. I think there's an ultimate respect in a really unfortunate crash at an unfortunate time where they might go, okay, let's wait. It's not too dangerous out the front. But last 30Ks of a bike race when he's crashed again, you know, the race is still on even if he gets dropped or have got a job to do and that's to win the stage with Shackman and I think that's what they did there but I think definitely as you said that sort of respect in the peloton for the jersey is getting less well, and less. Well I think it's for certain riders I remember the Vuelta last year there was a crash before one of the sections and Movistar got on the front and split into the crosswinds they got some stick for that and, and, and Primoz doesn't seem to command the respect of that kind of where they think oh Maybe we shouldn't do that. But it does work in roundabouts. You know, you kind of, all comes out in the wash. I remember 10, 12 years, uh, with the year I won Paris, Leipheimer crashed before the descent into Nice and he never got back on. Movistar drilled it down this descent and Quickstep didn't forget that. And the week later at Catalonia, they did the same to Movistar and put Valverde out the back when he crashed. So it depends. So with someone like Valverde, if he has respect for someone like, if Contador had crashed, they wouldn't have done it. You know, there's 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 a there's a there's a mutual yeah. respect, but they they obviously seem to have a problem with a, no problem with putting Leipheimer out the back. It's it, it as I say, it's, there's there's a respect you earn. I mean, I, I always tried to keep that in 2012 with like Cadell and all those guys when they punctured at the top of that climb and I sort of stopped the race because they remember things like that. You might need that one day. It's about sort of needing yeah, it yeah, one day, course, isn't it? Yeah. You know. What was the what was the Le Keep headline? The gentleman. I think it was. No. Yeah, Le Grand Muffin. <laughs> which is the big muffin. Do we think Van der Poel already has that sort of intimidation factor? Not, I won't say on a personality level. No, I don't think he sort of struts around. I just think he's got an air of confidence about himself. But he's actually a really nice guy, and I think he's well-respected. But his, his respect is, is comes from his ability um, more than anything, it's, and it's not necessarily his um, his ego and that, because he, he, you know, he walks the walk. Whereas, you know, when, as I say, there's, there's certain riders like Contador and that, you know, you know that they'd pay you back if you if you, you sort of did them did them wrong. I think with it as well, you know, you'd get like Contador and the Lancers, even yourself. It's it's a case of you going to the front of that race and neutralising it when you can. And you never, I could never imagine Primus going to the front of a race and going whoa whoa whoa. He's almost too nice a guy to upset people. Yeah, yeah. And I think there's that within the peloton. I like talk about Vanderpol. You can imagine him doing it, but he's also the kind of guy that you know he's quite shy. As Brad said, he walks a walk. Let your legs do the talking. Fine, by all means, if you want to let them wait, I'll still yeah. race the same way I did after it. And it's not to say that we need someone in the peloton that commands that respect. I think it's bike racing, and that's part and parcel. I think there were times where it was too much, like Eno in the days when Eno was, you know, they, you know, he was just in charge of everything. No one would dare do anything. And it's bike racing at the end of the day, and it's it, you can't confuse it sometimes with a lack of respect for people. It's just it's misfortune, and, and the race goes on. I remember a few years ago as well when Cancellara kind of really took offence to um, he, I think he crashed actually and broke his collarbone in Flanders 
um, and was sort of saying there's no respect anymore and this that, and the other and there was a change of the guard in the sense that you know you you got out the way of the big hitters now and everyone thinks they can have a go and everyone thinks they can win um, but I wouldn't say it's a lack of respect I think it's just you know people realise now that there's no hierarchy anymore and, and you know everyone's entitled with a number on their back to have a go I think we've we've possibly seen that from Matthew van der Poel more than anyone this week over at Treno Adriatico particularly today where he's gone on the most insane 50 kilometer solo breakaway um, to bring it home, putting time into the chasing group, a, a high quality chasing group. Don't forget, he was out the back in Flanders a few years ago, wasn't he? At a double puncture and was four minutes down or something, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah he crashed, didn't he? No, you know, no one waited for him, you know, it's... it's. So, so why should I wait for them? I just don't, I just, you, you know, you can't, you can't count for every crash, you know? It's, yeah, exactly, uh, you can't, every time someone's crashes, I think if you start waiting for one person at this time, you won't wait for another person, you know, it's, takes away bike racing bike right bike racing has crashes in it it's going to happen it's part of being a bike rider and i think you know it's part of being in the right position isn't it, it? Is, yeah it's all part of the racing and it's can be the difference as we saw today the teammates the positioning why the teammates are there to position all them things that add up to you know the success of it and if you do one thing wrong as it showed today in in paris nice it could be the end of it over at treno van der Poel, Awesome solo break to, to take today's stage. Um, yesterday, we saw Pogaccio leaving everyone else for dust on the final climb, um, distancing uh, the Ineos train, um, as, as well as holding off Simon Yates uh, into the finish. Today, after the Van der Poel show, he looked absolutely exhausted at the finish and Pogaccio almost caught him as well. Um, I mean, we, we saw them both sort of collapsed off their bikes over the line. They both looked absolutely shattered. If you're van der Poel and you're going for Milan-San Remo this coming Saturday, why go so deep on today's stage? Why not? When he was out there, that was it, that was it, I might as well go. It's a winner for grabs. Yeah. You're not going to be thinking in that time leading up to the finish, oh, I need, I've got this coming up, I need to back off a bit. He's got a job to do today and he's not living for next week, he's living for now and he's racing for now and he's racing for that win. In the back of his head when he finishes today, he probably won't even be thinking about San Remo. He'll just be thinking, oh, today's going to be, tomorrow's going to be hard after today's efforts. You know, he's, I don't think in his head he'll start thinking about San Remo until this race is done. Once that's done, he'll start to think about it probably. Is he not going to pay for it though, come next Saturday? Nah, I don't think so. I think this is why young riders are good these days. They're so young, yeah. the bodies can recover like click of a finger almost. And I think that's why we see it now. If you look back when I first started, I don't know about you, but they always backed you off a bit when you were younger. Oh, we won't give you this much, so you'll ride into it. But when you think about it, the bodies are younger. They're able to recover quicker. They're able to cope with a lot more stress. Yeah, and I, don't, I wouldn't say you tried any harder than anyone else behind. You know, they've got to chase him. <laughs> Poor sods. And then the guy's out the back trying to just get through the stage. I mean, that's what cycling's about, really. I mean, you might not sort of think that Sam Rehm was hard enough for himself to win, you know? But he'll be thinking about a couple of weeks' time, Flanders, Roubaix, and things like that. Um, you know, a rider of his quality as well, you imagine the first sort of three, four hours, he's probably not expended as much energy as everybody else because he's you know, he floats, doesn't he? So you, what you quite often see when he does these things is is the same effort and the same sort of grimace and the workload he seems to be putting in is like he is in a cyclocross race he's used to going for an hour flat out isn't he and it seems to work you know why why change i mean maybe it'd be a big effort for sunday but sunday's not really that hard or saturday whenever it is sorry sam Raymo. it's not a grueling race so when he make lots of people get quite fresh towards the end there because it's more about positioning and it's it's a, it's a wearing down process and i actually don't think sam Raymo's hard enough for him to do the damage really is it no, I wouldn't say so. I think the only 
the only thing he has in his locker is that you know like Alaphilippe if you look at him what he the punch that he can do on the Poggio which he will no doubt do he's got to get rid of Vatu van der Poel and he won't be able to do it and he knows Matthew's faster than him van Aert is probably quicker than him as well so I think it will happen but mm. ultimately he'll just be following him relying on his sprints that's you know one of his best attributes to him is that he's fast as well mm. he's not just he can't just ride 50k on his own he can't just climb he can do everything and you know Alaphilippe yeah can do everything as well but these guys are winning bunch sprints van Aert van der Poel they are on another level to what so many riders are on and the way he raced today, it still won't be as hard as a Flanders or if you look at the numbers afterwards, or a Roubaix. And they're the type of efforts you have to make. So you only get a few chances to make those events. And part of it as well is is it was a do or die. You know, he wants to see if it, where he's at, his real condition, doing something. And he's just ridden the whole peloton off his wheel. So he's now probably thinking, looking ahead to Flanders now. You know, you, now you're capable of that. You can see, you've seen where Van Aert and these guys are. It was as much a showcase to see, you know, see where it is. You know, it doesn't matter if I don't win the stage. This is just to, you know, kind of test your legs, really, because he pretty much tried the same thing last year. They both rode off the front, didn't they? Van Aert with Philippe at Flanders. So, as you know, you know, you'll be doing that for the last 80k in Flanders, wouldn't you? Like that oh, sort of yeah, effort. and the rest. Yeah, probably even yeah. more. It's just, you'll have a couple of guys with you, but it's just like, like you say, it's a wearing down yeah. process. And those guys, they're so used to it and the bodies are so capable of it. We saw last year's three of the best in the world at the front, and I expect to see the same in San Remo and probably Roubaix as well. I mean, the three of them have turned Tirano into their own sort of playground this week. It's been, it's been box office all week, yeah. largely because of I those three and, and the efforts of, of Pogaccio, as we I saw yesterday. I think what you have to remember is that today might have been a different story if the day before wasn't it. If that day was yesterday, um, I think Wout van Aert would have been able to follow him. Uh, he wouldn't have been concentrating on the GC so much. But yesterday, he did the full climb at threshold Wout van Aert. He wasn't following attacks. He was just sticking to his pace the whole way up the climb. Van der Poel, on the other hand, just pulled the pin and just rode up it easy and at his own pace. So he'll have had a bit more more in the legs today than Wout van Aert. But for Wout, I think he finished 45 seconds behind him yeah, still. Yeah. You know, it, it's easy to look at a result sheet, but if you look back They're on the a couple of days, riders, it's... I, I think it's sad to say, I think maybe Greg van Avermaet's probably over it now, isn't he? He's past yeah, his best. I think so. But it's just, you know, like I saw the interviews with Lefebvre saying, how do, you, how do we win Flanders and Roubaix? We're going to isolate them. It's like, right, well, four of your riders are going yeah. to have to do a really good job to isolate just two riders. And to do that, you've got to get all four of them into the final, mm. which they won't be able to do. No way. We saw Van Aert on the final climb yesterday as well, distancing the likes of Thomas, Bernal, uh, Nibali, Bardet. He, he was leaving them all for dust. Yeah, I mean, he's just, you know, if we, we're talking about Van der Poel so much and what he's capable of, I think you have to remember why Van Aert is not being out of the top 10 in this race. I think there's one day apart from yesterday where he was eighth or whatever he was. Um, the rest of the times, first, third, second, third again today. I mean, the bloke can do everything. Time trial, the lot. It's just, he's like, to me, the how Sean Kelly used to be. Can do literally everything. Riding the mountains at Grand Tours, amazing. Ineos not looking so strong. I mean, you mentioned Teo and Richie Port have, have pulled out of, of Paris-Nice with injury. But over at Torino, they're, they're not looking the force that we, we're used to seeing. No, I think, you know, the, it's really difficult to say with them. I think they're in this phase still where we spoke about before the show is that riders sort of when we were racing, you'd have your big peaks through the year. So you'd really peak for the Tour de France or you'd peak for Flanders, whatever it was. But then you'd have a downtime in the middle of it. Now we're so often seeing that as soon as that rider comes into racing, they're at their best. 
So Pogaccio winning his first race looks like he's going to win his second race of the year. Just, they never have these dips anymore. And I think, you know, we don't know if they're building up or if they're going to stay on the same level. But I think for the, the likes of Ineos, looking at the way they rode is really like a high sustained power effort, the big threshold efforts where you can ride all day at super high watts. And I think what's worrying for them is all the riders are becoming capable of that now, but then adding a punch to it. So adding even more than what they've got. And I think... When you look at G and you look at Bernal, Bernal just seems to be riding himself into a form a bit and great ride at Strada Bianca. But the likes of G and these guys, you know, I'm sure they've got, you know, their training plan and everything, getting ready for the tour. But they must also be thinking in the back of their heads, like I've got, you know, I was on his wheel and I just got dropped straight off the wheel. I mean, if you're a GCE guy and for G, it must be quite hard to take. Yeah, I just think the racing's changed now. It's it's not riders uh, aren't as willing to sit and let teams just put up a train and ride all day. Um, you know, these guys at Ineos, they train sort of threshold numbers all the time over and under. And that is, it's, it's, they, they've kind of, I don't know if they're trying to go away from the whole kind of training like a diesel kind of engine. Um, they go to altitude before races like this, you go to altitude after, they spend a lot of time at altitude and altitude is, is not, you can't do a lot of sort of punchy stuff at altitude. It's all just riding your bike and fitness training and kind of threshold training for the grand tours of riding, Four five four hundred fifty watts all day up climbs and that's what wins your tours. But now these kind of races, you get into it and it's like um you know it's like a criterium mixed with the Madison and it's just you know. But the thing now is you've got guys that are up there in the Tour de France, the likes of Philippe and that Van Aert, that race like this as well. You know, race like a like a criterium. And we saw G the other day really try and have a go and sort of punch G's G's really like that, but you know, with balancing your weight as well, you know, getting your weight down and, and that punch goes when you have your weight right down for the Grand Tours and that whole balance. But you've got Alaphilippe, they'll, they'll be up there in Liège in a couple of weeks, they'll be up there in Flanders, Van Aert will be up there in all those races. You know, it's sort of this whole thing about getting super skinny and like just being super efficient at threshold and that. It almost, I wouldn't say it's invalid anymore. It, it certainly is. But you've got guys like Alaphilippe and that that run the risk of winning the Tour and that. And Van Aert, we talk about, can he win a Grand Tour? And it's almost like there's no emphasis on the whole weight thing and power and numbers. It's just, they just get out there and race. And I think Ineos have kind of created a culture of, um, um, it's like they're sort of ingrained in this system of numbers. They all go out and train individually in Mallorca, or they used to anyway, in small groups. And, and now it's just, you know, it's, it's a bit like the chain gang used to be, you know, it's just sort yeah, of get yeah, out yeah, there. Yeah. Is is the way that we're, we're seeing races approached at the moment because of the last sort of disrupted past 12 months because of coronavirus and because you're seeing guys just going out and racing like today i think you said on commentary adam it was it was like a, a, a mini classic and it's it's like you're racing today's race as if it's your last well the the style of racing that we're used to the style of racing that we're used to seeing ineos dominate will that return can we see it returning or is that it now well not when two of the best riders in the world are from cyclocross there's another one on his way in pidcock you know there was a time where cyclocross riders didn't really make that impact on the road scene but now they can time trial, they go out, they can race, cycle. I mean, I've never really done a cyclocross race, but it's brutal, isn't it? Yeah. You yeah. Know? And and they if the races are run and raced like that now, so it seems to be suiting their style. I think with the the cyclocrosses when they're doing it, you know, especially these. Well, as well, them, wasn't he? He was. From he was yeah, cyclocross. He was Slovenian national champ two years before he won the tour, which is incredible. But I think what it is with cyclocross is that they're they're just going under. The threshold and then over it for a minute it's just constant on and off on and off on and off on and off the bike it's handling all well, isn't it? high end and it's the bike handling yeah. yeah 
they're making these efforts that are like two, three minutes flat out efforts and then dropping back down to the threshold. It's, it is just one hour, as Brad said, full yeah. gas and it's being able to recover the way they do, which is it's incredible the way they can recover. All right, Adam, thank you for joining us. Uh, It's been a a pleasure to have you on commentary all week. I look forward to hearing from you more on the classics. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming. It's been really nice. Welcome back to the Bradley Wiggins Show. Story that's been impossible to avoid this week. Former British Cycling and Team Sky Chief Doctor Richard Freeman has been found guilty of ordering banned testosterone in 2011, knowing or believing it was to help dope an unnamed rider. So this, this is from the medical tribunal that ruled Freeman ordered Testagel with the knowledge that it was to be, and I'm quoting here, it was to be administered to an athlete to improve their athletic performance. Yeah, and he's been found guilty of all of that. We know, we know that. We saw that was in the first hearing. The company had clarified that they'd sent that, the, the pharmaceutical company. As far as I'm aware, there was Steve Peters opened the box and said, what the hell is this doing here? And then there was a sort of complete breakdown, a loss of any sort of evidence or facts or line of communication that that got sent back and then the whole sort of barrel of different sort of explanations after that it doesn't actually leave us anywhere further forward um yeah we know he's found guilty of course we do i mean the, the thing should never have been in the bloody building in the first place there's now on 50 to 80 odd riders on the british cycling performance program they've come into that facility which of course was freeman's office he covered the british cyclists there's 80 odd athletes there through various disciplines. There's also Team Sky that were running out of there. And it's just left that there's this, this assumption that it must have been for a rider to... I don't know anyone in their own right mind that would use that for doping at that period, particularly as um, the, the, the amount of testing in that time, particularly with the blood passport, um, in-house testing, um, out of competition if you lived in the UK with UCAD. Um, we tallied it up early and I was probably tested about 56 times that year. And I was winning a lot, you know, a few races and stuff as well, which which puts you in um, more of a stringent testing. But it doesn't, act, as I say, yes, we know the testosterone gel. No, there's nothing new there. Um, but what needs to happen now is 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 to alleviate this assumption or this kind of cloud, you know, that loves to be banded round that it was must have been for a rider. Well, not necessarily. It might be for a staff member. It might be something for for a female athlete. It might be for someone from another sport. Who knows? It seems odd that no one flagged it up it seems bizarre that an organization funded by public money you know because it's not just necessarily team sky as well you know what 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 t-shirt did they have on this day when this came in the building was this under team sky is that another barrel of they've all got to deal with is it british cycling was it a mistake apparently it was then it should be easy to substantiate after that and show factual evidence of some sort of line of communication that they got sent back. I believe there was sort of all sorts of willy-nilly mumps later. Yeah, Fre- that- Freeman originally said it was a mistake, and then he subsequently said they actually, said it was Shane. Or that it Shane, was Shane Sutton. Sutton. Is that right? Yeah. 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 They never flushed down a toilet. Who knows? The whole thing stinks to high heaven, yeah. But is it 10 years on now? It wants looking into further. You know, yes, he's been found guilty. And, you know, they've come into the building. It falls on his head. Who else's head does it fall on? But from here now, can we have a look into it a bit more? What, what, what exactly happened? Someone must know. Because otherwise, you know, duty of care, you know, you, my, my son's got into British cycling setup at the moment. It's like, your, your kid's in there, and if is this sort of stuff going on where, oh, shit, accidentally, a load of testosterone gels coming, no one knows. You, you're jeopardising and your duty of care towards athletes and people's kids and people's husbands and wives and people that are in there in this great British system that we've got, which we've won all these Olympic medals over the years, funded by public money, that is not good enough. 
and and there needs to be more of an explanation as to who were they for then? What the bloody hell were they for? I don't think for one minute they were for any rider at all. I don't think that wasn't the type of system that was run. That wasn't the remit. It just isn't. Of course, that leaves this cloud over it. I understand that because it makes a bloody good story as well. But this one is a bit different and there's something else going on. And someone knows something and I don't know, I don't quite know what the hell's going on. But it needs a follow-up now, you know? We've waited all this time, found guilty, yeah, found guilty. But we knew that anyway. But this whole thing about, you know, the charge was that they were for a rider. I don't think anyone was, A, in that game of doing shit like that or stupid enough because, you know, you get caught the amount of times you've been tested. But if they, they was aware of someone, if they were for someone in Team Sky, then... They should have been that should have been acted on because they would have seen it with in-house testers. Why you have in-house testing, which goes against the whole thing of sort of you know zero tolerance and all this on on drugs. But it's left this now where there's no actual you know conclusion. It's just you know it's guilty of the charge, but with this sort of side piece that maybe to dope a rider. Well, I don't think so to be honest. But that's the way it looks, and I understand that. Um, but rather than just leave it at that, we just get to the bottom of it. I mean, there should be a, another investigation. Um, and I think that's probably the best way to do it. Yeah, and, and with a team and a, and a structure that was founded on, on this idea of marginal gains, how has how has the, the record keeping and the oversight been seemingly so so slipshod that that we're we're now in this position where we find that um, something like this has been has, has been able to happen. And that brings us to the end of this episode of the Bradley Wiggins Show by Eurosport. Thank you to our sponsor Zwift, where fun is fast. Thank you, Brad. Thank you. Uh, we can follow you on social media. That's Sir Wigo. That's Sir Wigo, as ever. Thank you again to our guest, Adam Blythe. You can follow Eurosport on Twitter at Eurosport underscore UK, plus you can find us on Instagram and Facebook. Thank you, as ever, our producer, Pete Burton. And finally, from me, Graham Wilgos, it's goodbye. If you've enjoyed the show, please subscribe, share your thoughts and rate us. Brad, we're looking forward to a couple more stages of Torino Adriatico this week on Eurosport. Two more stages left for fireworks there, mm. ending with a final time trial on Tuesday. Yeah. Who do you fancy for that? Dana. It's, it's got to be, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. We'll see you next week for Milan San Remo. See you then. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.